Welcome to the Retzel Health Law Hotspot. Health Law Hotspot is a podcast for physicians and health professionals that covers the legal issues and trends that affect the healthcare industry. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Health Law Hotspot. I'm Erica Adler, shareholder and leader of the healthcare practice at Retzel and Andrus. Today, I am joined by Debbie Carr. Debbie is recognized as a leader in cybersecurity and compliance and is a speaker and consultant. She assists healthcare entities in obtaining and maintaining security within their practices and assisting doctors navigate through a ransomware and other types of cyber attacks. Debbie holds several internationally recognized certifications, including healthcare information security and privacy practitioner, certified associate healthcare information and management system, and is a member of a huge number of different societies. She is with DK Carr and Associates. We're very excited to have her here today because we're going to be talking about cybersecurity and AI challenges for medical and dental practices. And it's a super hot topic. So thanks so much for coming today, Debbie. Thank you so much for having me. So tell me a little bit and everyone out there a little bit about your involvement with practices, what you generally are doing with them when it comes to cybersecurity, uh, some of the challenges and some of the issues that you're seeing. Well, um, we have seen an uh, uptick of aggressiveness against the healthcare industry as far as cyber attacks go. And so often doctors depend on just their IT when they really need to be looking at working with a cybersecurity consultant, one that looks, IT does what they do well. They take care of the mechanisms that you have in place. But security should be an umbrella of every facet of your operation. And so what we do is we go in, we help the practice to look at their security concerns, um, look at what they need to do to implement a security management plan, which by the way, brings them into HIPAA compliance, that regulation that they roll their eyes and say, oh, it's not. But when you look at it, the security Role, it's really best cybersecurity practices that are frequently misunderstood. So we try to make it simple and we try to help them to implement that security management plan, which brings them into HIPAA compliance. And it also meets uh, HR 7892, which is the safe harbor uh, that was signed in the amendment to HIPAA that if you can demonstrate that you have a NIST approved uh, security management plan in place and you have a data breach, which it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when you have a data breach, um, it creates a safe harbor because we always think of ransomware as being the only data breach we deal with. But we're seeing, and I'm sure you see it, we're seeing disgruntled employees calling on causing problems for other employees in the practice. Um, we're seeing, you know, even handing the wrong walkout statement to a patient is technically considered a data breach. Wow. So it's having these things in place. Are you seeing a lot of um, breaches from the outside via email or is that kind of, I mean, I know even within my own practice, we get tested on that from time to time. Right. Are we still seeing a lot of that or is that kind of passe now? No, we are seeing a lot of that still. And talking about the AI, this is one of the concerns that we have in the cybersecurity com community because we, we know that 90% of malicious code or, or ransomware comes in through a compromised email 
or compromised email system. And we used to say, um, look at the language with inside of that email because that may be a good giveaway that it may be the Nigerian prince or, or somebody from India that is not necessarily who you think it is. But now with the, with ChatGPT4 and AI, we're gonna be able to, we're not gonna be able to do that anymore because the, the uh, language is going to be well within what it should be. And so that is a huge, a huge concern um, for cybersecurity um, individuals because it's hard sometimes to differentiate between is this a live person or is this a computer? And that, right. that line is getting harder to cross. And it's gotten really sophisticated. I know sometimes like I'll get an email with an attachment from somebody I know or I've done business with and I'll right. respond and I'll send a, a separate email to them at their email address and say, hey, just want to make sure that what you just sent me was actually from you. And they'll say, yeah, I sent it to you to review. And, you know, and then if you, you're like, okay, it's them, right? And you click on it and it's, it's literally somebody answering their email that right. you get from a fresh email. Like that wouldn't have happened a few years ago. It um, wouldn't have. And it's so, it's really hard to know. And I guess with smaller practices, you maybe don't have, you know, the funds to have their own, you know, consulting company reviewing everything. Is there really any way to protect them from well, cybersecurity? Well, actually, actually, there it, it's not as, as expensive as um, people think it is, first of all. It's, it, it, I'm not going to lie, there is a cost involved, obviously, but it's, um, it, it's kind of uh, cheaper to pay to be preventative preventive than it is to pay to be on the defense, because I can tell you defensive can get very, very expensive. But a lot of times um, doctors think that their IT company is doing everything for them. And as we migrate to the cloud, uh, now they think that, oh, well, we, we can just do the cloud providers doing it all for us. Going to the cloud does not remove your the practices responsibility to HIPAA and to having that security management plan in place. And so often there's been so much misinformation about what HIPAA is. It's not meant to be restrictive. It's meant to be protective. And the reality is we're all patients somewhere and we want our information protected. So all we're asking the healthcare industry to do is to protect our information at the same level. But so often that's the excuse I hear, oh, my IT company's doing it. Well, under HIPAA, IT has 12 requirements. 12, that's it. The practice itself has over 152 requirements. So there isn't really an IT company out there that can make you compliant. And again, there's a broad range of, of items that need to be looked at. The, the policy alone on, on email, how to, how to look at the emails, how to delete an email. I expect the IT company to put up auditing and monitoring. I expect them to enable the spam filters. I expect them to um, encrypt the emails when we're transmitting information. That's all IT, that's all mechanisms in place. But the reality is it's the person at the, at the keyboard that's gonna make the decision to open that email. IT is not gonna be in that position. So 
we have to make sure that the person that is actually at the keyboard has the tools and the training to know whether this is something that they want to open. I love the fact that you call them and say, hey, did you send this to me or did you email them back? You're right. A lot of times that email has been compromised. I, I, have, a, um, I have a friend that works with, uh, with title companies and she called me in to work with a title company that um, last week because the email has been compromised and the title company has sent off over $300,000 in um, payoffs because they got the documentation through their email that says that they need to do this. And it, the email looked right. The only thing that had been changed was the account numbers. And so they've lost over $300,000 and it's a small company. I've had a doctor, um, they're an endodontist. They were buying a practice. They got an email that said that, you know, you've got to send your down payment to this place and everything lined up. We were at the point in the sale that they should have been sending $160,000 oh and they sent $160,000 to a hacker. So, um, you know, it, it's, having those mechanisms and trainings in place security is layered and it's um it it has to be a team effort and the team has to be within the practice really that's excellent advice i mean everybody thinks it's not going to happen to them and you know we're always telling practices you know you need to have good procedures processes you should have insurance to cover this oh, as well, absolutely. Um, you know, if you don't already. And those things are really key. I see it coming up a lot when a practice wants to sell. So when a practice goes to sell, if they're doing a little bit more of a sophisticated, you know, transaction as opposed to just, you know, small doctor to small doctor, you know, nobody asks about HIPAA when that happens. But they want to see your HIPAA policies. Anyway. Right. They want to know who's your HIPAA compliance officer. Have you ever had any HIPAA complaints? You know, how often do you do a security analysis? And, you know, my docs are like, um yeah what <laughs> have no clue. but technically they're supposed to be doing that that should be done right up there at the same time that you're doing your annual HIPAA training and what a lot of people don't realize is that annual HIPAA training is security awareness training there's actually two other training or two trainings that should be taking place yes you should be doing that security awareness training but it should be more than once a year and you should also be training on your policies because what you do in your practice is going to be different than what I do in my practice the biggest complaint or the biggest, um, one of the biggest areas that I see a lot of issues is, is releasing records. How to release records? What's the process? That is always, I don't understand it. If a patient asks for their records, just send them, just send them. But anyway, but have it written out and train your individuals, right. train your team on how to do that. Train your team, train the people that are involved with hiring how to hire somebody, but also train the people involved with terminating how to terminate because you want to stop access, especially with remote access. You want to stop that access as quickly as you possibly can right. um, because, you know, nothing is worse than a disgruntled employee. And right. so, you know, they can do, they can rack a lot of havoc um, when left to their own accord. And, you know, we all want to live within boundaries. We say we don't, but we really do. And I'm right. sure that you have seen those court cases where that come up where the, the employees say, well, nobody ever told me I couldn't do that. 
Right. And that's why those policies and processes and training on them are right. so important. I, I think for most practices, they understand, you know, they have to give out the notice of privacy practices. And most of them understand they have to get something signed to release records. You know, not all of them understand handling fee versus what they can charge. Those kinds of things come up from time to time. I think, you know, no matter how much training, there's always going to be those individual employees. I mean, there's some practices where they train regularly every year and those employees still do things like looking at another employee's records. Um, right. But what for us has been really important is uh, also the ability to track when people are looking at records they're supposed to be looking at. Um, we see HIPAA breaches as opposed to like, you know, bigger cybersecurity breaches are where people are downloading things they shouldn't be downloading. Um, and I'm, hospitals, I think, do a much better job. We'll sometimes get, you know, contacted by the hospital's right. department and they'll say, we know that somebody in that office accessed a record of somebody that's not a patient of your practice or that's not listed as being seen by Dr. So-and-so, right. whatever. They do a great job with that. Practices, you know, sometimes think that their role kind of ends at um, medical record and HIPAA notices. And you're absolutely right. They, they don't, they need it. But, you know, it was very exciting when HIPAA first came out and now everybody's kind of like, yeah, we do it, you know, but they don't yeah. really, right? And, but, they don't and, and that's why I really don't care if you're HIPAA compliant because if you're HIPAA compliant, you basically failed at securing your investment because the reality is, is that in, in order to protect your investment, you need to have security plans in place. You know, it, we all, there was a time I'm old, there was a time we didn't lock our doors. We just left. And if the neighbor wanted to come in for sugar, I live in a very, very small town, small community. So if my neighbors wanted to come in and get a cup of sugar, fine, have at it. Now, when we leave home, we lock our doors, we have deadbolts, we have signs that say alarm companies, we have the ring doorbell, we have it all because we've had to change with the time. And that's what practices need to understand is that from a hacker standpoint, the hospitals, they're still nice targets, but the better target is going to be that small practice because they're not going to have the investment of security in place. They And, and going to that auditing, it doesn't cost a lot. It doesn't take a lot to have those auditing mechanisms put in place. Every practice management has the audit capability. It's just that nobody knows how to access it. And there's not a process in place for monitoring and auditing it periodically to make sure that paid that team members are only accessing what they need to. That's why we see a high rate of embezzlement because nobody's watching. Doctors think it will never happen to me. And when it does, they look at me and they go, was there something I could have done? Yes. If you had done so the risk how, analysis. How is AI and chat GPT going to affect practices then? I know there's got to be some cybersecurity risk involved with that. There now, is. Right? There is. And like anything else, it's meant for good. And there's a lot of good things about AI in healthcare. We're going to see increased ability to treat patients. We're going to see the ability to 
um, to access or well record access, yes, but to determine what the condition is and, and to better uh, determine what the course of treatment is going to be. So there's a lot of pluses to this, but yes, there are some concerns because it, we call it GEICO, garbage in, garbage out. What you see, what you're looking for is what you're going to get. And, you know, we're seeing, you know, in your notes, what you put in your notes is what your patient experience is supposed to be, what you did. So, you know, subjective, objective assessment and, and plan. Well, if you're getting that information from ChatGPT, which I've seen, that's what a lot of people are starting to do, that may or may not be accurate. It's not about just getting that note quickly. I mean, I always preach on don't copy and paste from one patient to another because that comes through eventually. Um, you will get caught with that. But um, we're, we're starting to see that there's a lot of great things. It is a great tool like any other tool when used appropriately. A, we've been using AI for years. Those little chat windows down at the bottom that says, hi, um, can I help you? When would you like to schedule? Those are chatbots. Those are great. But there's a limit and it's going to be harder to differentiate between is this a live person or is this a machine I'm talking to? And machines, they're very smart and they're getting smarter every day, but they still, we still need to have that human interaction. And okay. so that, that is I, my concern, one of my biggest concern is that we lose that human interaction. And, you know, we can use the, the, the AI, we can use it to look at, at a diagnosis and look at the protocols for this condition and that kind of thing. But there's other issues that need to be taken into consideration that that AI couldn't do, such as economic uh, position. That AI is not physically looking at that patient to determine what the condition is. And so, you know, we have a lot of mental health issues happening these days. That is something that a doctor is trained to be astute on and trained to notice. The computer is not going to notice those things. So I think that there has to be a balance between the right. two quote unquote technologies, the human and the, right. and the AI. It is definitely going to be very resourceful. It's definitely going to help with um, patient care, but because now it can, it, uh, ChatGPT can write an entire website, including the video and the audio. Well, all a hacker has to do now is put that put in malicious code into that website. We go to that website, we're hacked. So there's a lot of things that we need to be aware of. I know Microsoft has come out with a product. Um, I think it's called Copilot um, to help. Uh, a lot of the companies are already jumping on the bandwagon to try to put the, the security safeguards in place, but there, it, it still comes down to layers and it still comes down to you can't block everything just about the time that we think we've got it for years backup was our thing backup 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 on site backup off site we're good backup well that doesn't work anymore because right. now hackers are taking 
that information. They don't even bother encrypting anymore. They just call you and say, hey, go to this website because we have your data. Oh, that's so crazy. And I worry, like from a healthcare perspective of doctors forgetting that they're not like any other business. So if you ask chat GPT to do things for you, um, you know, what it's, what is its awareness of the law? First of all, its information only goes back to a certain date. I don't know what the new chat GPT is up to, but it's not the most updated. Does it know how to apply, you know, anti-kickback rules to marketing right. it recommends for you, right? Does right. it make things up? I know there's been a couple of times where lawyers have you know, ask questions, gotten answers. And then when they tried to check cases that were cited, there's no such case. And when they went back to GPT and said, wait, what's this case? Oh, sorry, I made that up. Like, to me, that's mind blowing because you should always authenticate and double check everything, of course. Right. But I think people feel like this is AI and you can rely on it. And I think and, that's and a mistake. Exactly. And what about voting? That is a, that is a huge mistake because- yeah. It, it, it doesn't always, you know, there's there's applications out there that we depend on on, on, re, on a regular basis, but you know what? Schools aren't allowed to use them because the information has been proven to be maybe not so accurate. We've become a society where we don't check, we don't verify, we, we see it on social media and it must be true, but no, right. it doesn't work that way. And we're gonna, we see the same thing with diagnosis and we never know who's in the system. So it's always good to verify, Check, but verify. Trust, but verify. I wouldn't even trust. I would just check and verify. Do you, um, do you think there's going to be a way to use it, though, for billing and coding? Or do you think that that's, there's like such nuances with that and, you know, kind of comparing the written record with the coding? Is there a way for AI to help with that? I think that there will be. I think that we're seeing that, but we also have to bless you. We also have to keep in mind, as you mentioned, we have laws that we have to, you know, all 50 states have laws that protect their residents. GDPR has uh, very strict rules. California has a very strict rule. Um, Connecticut has a very strict rule. So we have to keep in mind that, you know, we can use these tools as long as we they're used correctly and we have to limit patient exposure. And so marketing, I know several marketing companies, marketing consultants that are loving chat GPT, but they are the first to tell you, don't put patient information in it. Be careful how you answer because, especially on a review, because you don't want it to give too much information that may allow the patient to um, identify them because so you know we have to keep in mind those rules and laws right. uh, to protect patient information right. and protect um, protected identifiable information right and I could see like if you're using it to respond to comments on a website or something like that I mean one of the basic rules if a patient makes a comment you know that I always tell my clients is don't acknowledge that they're a patient, answer you know <laughs> yeah. or or anything. So they're like, oh, you know, Mrs. Smith, we appreciate your visit to the practice on this date. You know, like that would be a huge yeah. issue. So you need to and be that's aware. that's balance. We've got to, you know, there's a lot of discussion now about the fact that that this, especially chat GPT-4, that it's passed, you know, it's passed the bar. It's passed um, several the um, exams. You know, 90% tile. That's wonderful. That's great. But at the same time, we have to remember that we can let it control us or we can control it. 
And we have to go back and keep in mind that we have to be in control. So when, a, when the computer tells us that this person needs to have amoxicillin, for example, and the computer's saying the course of treatment for this condition is, and that's your clinical decision support systems, right? They're saying for this con condition, you should give amoxicillin. Well, okay, but I didn't get an alert that came up, but I see here that on this little form, she mentioned she's allergic to penicillin. The computer's gonna say, this is the course of treatment, give her penicillin. But the doctor should be able to make that final decision based on what he sees. The computer, or maybe it was a verbal that the, the patient said, oh, by the way, when she gets the script for amoxicillin, well, I'm allergic to penicillin, is this gonna impact me? Um, that the doctor, it's, it's still his responsibility. So we've got to remember we're still the ones in control and stop giving so much control to these little boxes. That's excellent advice. Um, all right, well, we could talk about this forever and I hope you'll come Probably. back once we start seeing chat GPT, especially number four, getting used more in medical and dental practices. I'd love to have you come back and tell us some of the ways in which you're finding it to be beneficial or detrimental um, and give us some insight because we're really, this is a kind of a cutting age, you know, cutting edge rather thing going on right now. I mean, we don't know how useful it's going to be or how problematic it's going to be. So you'll have to come revisit us and talk about it once we I'd get love to. More uh, any final thoughts that you want to share? Nope. I, you know, again, we need to maintain control and security as layers. It's, it's about the layers that you have in your practice and to, you can't depend on one layer, which a lot of people are, are on that IT, the IT, it, it's a combination. You should have an IT partner, but you need to have the policies. You need to have the security controls. HIPAA looks at physical technical and administrative controls. So when we do a risk analysis, we scan all your computers so we know what the technical is. We look at your physical so that we can see where your vulnerabilities are there. And we look at your administrative controls of what you have there. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you to Debbie Carr for joining us and I'll have your information up. So anybody wants to reach out and ask questions, they definitely can. And we hope you'll join us next time on the Health Law Hotspot as well. And you can see some of our other podcasts at ralaw.com. Thanks so much for joining us, Debbie. The Retzel Health Law Hotspot is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Wetzel Health Law Hotspot does not create an attorney-client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Wetzel Health Law Hotspot should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have.